Good morning. I'm seeing so many new faces today, which means chili cook-off and welcome to Grace is good today. Uh, we, we had every, listen, we had every intention of like, okay, November, first week in November, it's going to be a cool fall brisk. We're going to go out and the chili will warm us up because it's cold. It may be sweaty chili day today, right? Like some of y'all are going to be like, I, I'm shedding layers to get to this chili, but we're still going out there and going to have fun. I'm really excited about that. And, and I really do. If you're new to Grace, uh, we don't want to do anything weird or strange, but we do want to get to know you. We want to share about who we are as a church and what we do. And Welcome to Grace is one of my favorite things that we do because I get to meet lots of new folks who are being a part of the church. Sometimes when I'm preaching, uh, I'm the only one that gets to talk, so we don't really get to meet very well. Uh, my bad. Uh, but it, welcome to Grace, we do. And so uh, right after the service over in the student room, if you're new or this is your first time or you want to hang out or you want to find out, hey, what, ha- what's happening at Grace and what's going on, we would love to hang out with you uh, over there. Grace is a part of a family of churches, which means there are 10 other churches in the Grace family of churches. Uh, this week was a really special week. All of our uh, lead pastors and some of our staff flew into D.C. to our church in, uh, in, in D.C., which is Grace Capital City. Uh, the pastor there is Chris Mormon, and they are in the process. we got a picture, I think, of all the guys. Uh, they are in the process of purchasing uh, a new property. And so four blocks from the White House sits Teddy Roosevelt's church. It's a historic site. Teddy, he was a president. If you need to do, you can look him up. Or you can Google him. Uh, <laughs> He's a pretty popular one. Uh, his church has been sitting empty for s- the last six years. There was dust on every pew. We sat down, and you could tell where we sat because there was dust on the pews. Uh, luckily for us, the church is a historic site and has to be kept as a church because what's happening in cities like D.C. and big cities all over the place is apartment complexes, those kinds of things, are buying these beautiful, incredible churches and they're no longer operating as churches. So they have an opportunity to purchase this church, to start doing worship there in that church. It's a really incredible opportunity, and I would ask that all of us just be praying for our church in Grace Capital City. Um, Imagine the influence that can happen when there is a church that is four blocks from the White House, the position of power in the United States that is speaking of peacemaking, that is speaking of justice, that is speaking of holiness, and that is standing in the middle of that place of power talking about Jesus. Amazing, incredible things can happen. They are trying to raise the money now. It's around three to four million dollars that they need to raise, which is a huge, like it's a God-only thing uh, for them. So, so would you join me in just praying for Grace Capital City? Uh, their pastor is the big bald guy in the middle, their second row bald guy, not top row bald guy. Uh, he's from Australia, Chris Mormon, incredible, incredible leader. Uh, we're starting a new series today. We're in Jonah chapter one. We're going to walk through the story of Jonah over the coming weeks. If you've got your Bibles or your app or any of those kinds of things, uh, you can go there. If you want a Bible, um, Douglas is happy to hand one out. He's holding them up right now. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and he'll drop one off. Jonah chapter one, and the series is called The Runners. And we want to talk about this idea that all of us run from God. Um, so here's, here's how I want to start. I, I want you to turn to your neighbor. You're going to be allowed to talk here. I want you to turn to your neighbor, the person that you came with, the person that you're sitting with, or a complete stranger. It's all right. Uh, and I want you to share with them one activity that everyone else you know seems to enjoy, 
except you. All right, something that a lot of people like, but you're like, that's not for me. All right, you got it? Turn to your person next to you, share, share what that is. I'm trying to pop the collar. Uh. <laughs> it's a style. The long list. Like, I got so many things. I could go on forever. Can I give you guys some of mine? I, I am the only middle-aged pastor in the history of the world that doesn't drink coffee. I'm the only one. I don't drink coffee. You guys are not middle-aged pastors. A lot of you raise your hands, but you're, I, I also don't wear the black rim glasses like all the other pastors, mainly because I don't need them, uh, and I don't need style accessories either. Uh, I, I don't do either of those two things. Uh, I, you know what I hate? Uh, you, know, you know what I dislike that other people like? Reality TV. I, there's never been a reality TV show that I was interested or that I wanted to watch. I don't care what Ryan Seacrest is doing ever. I, I don't. He, he seems like a very nice guy. Um, you know what I don't like? Uh, this, one's gonna, this is going to turn some of you against me. Be prepared. Christmas music. Where's my non-Christmas music people? Yes, yeah, see, I'm glad that I've created a safe space for some of us to admit this. I don't need to sing about Rudolph. I don't need to sing about Santa. I'm happy to sing about Jesus a little bit, right? In December. In December alone, right? We, the, the Jesus singing joy to the world, that does not start in November, right? It is a billion degrees and we're eating chili today. We do not need to be singing joy to the world. Uh, you, know, I, you know what I don't like? I don't like any social media trend. Any of them. Like, I just think about all of them. It's National Daughter Day. It's National Coworker Day. It's National Sunday. Like, we are making up holidays on social media, and I am not participating in your fake holidays, right? I'm not doing it. I love y'all, and it doesn't mean I don't love my daughter or my son. I, they're very precious to me, but I am not posting anything about them on your fake holidays. Uh, uh, many of you know this about me. Uh, my greatest fear in the entire world is dancing in front of other humans. I hate dancing. I don't ever want to dance. I don't ever want to be in a place where other people are dancing. I, we, so when we first came here, Savannah Tuttle had a birthday. I, I'm not calling you. I, she had a birthday, and she was like, you know what we all need to do? We all need to go dancing. And my wife was like, oh, that would be amazing. Let's go dancing. I had a panic attack. I'm not kidding. I, had a, I wasn't even dancing. I was standing in the side like this, and I had a complete panic attack because I was afraid of other people watching me dance. All right, some of you... Jose, you can give me a diagnosis later for all that, what that means about my heart and my childhood. Here's the other thing I hate, running, jogging. I know there are, how many of you are joggers, runners in here? Sarah, my wife, is a runner. Uh, I, I've tried, and, and it's not because, I, like when I was a kid, I'm not anymore, but when I was a kid, I was fairly athletic. I could run fast, I played basketball. I could dunk a basketball when I was in 10th grade. Like, like I, I, I liked like sprinting. I could do that. I was fairly fast, fairly athletic, 
But anytime there was like, I got to run for distance, I got to run for any extended period of time, I just started falling apart. Uh, and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't breathe. I get this like weird feeling in my throat. I'm, everybody's like, well, you got to push through it. And I'm like, well, I don't want to push through it. That's not fun. I, I don't enjoy it. All of those kinds of things. Uh, I, I don't, my wife loves to run. So I've tried like, we got to do this together as a family. Like this is me being sacrificial. Like when I watch all those stupid cooking shows, like that kind of thing. Uh, but, but in that moment, I just can't do it. My knees are falling apart now, so I have complaints. Like, I'm just getting older. Like, it's not good for my knees. I, I, I can make up a reason why. Um, but I also don't like what men wear when they jog. Like, fellas, men in the room who are joggers, please raise your hands. Don't be, don't be afraid. I, we don't need to see you in that. I'm just saying, like, this is your pastor speaking. I, I you... Get some basketball shorts, right? Get something that goes down a little lower. We, we don't need that. And, and I know what you guys are thinking. Like the runners in the room, you're, you're thinking this. This is what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, well, no one likes discipline, Ben. And you know what else I don't like? It's people who do one hard thing and tell everyone else that they should do it also. <laughs> I'm looking at you, vegans and CrossFitters, right? We don't all need to know that you did one hard thing in your life. You don't need to tell everybody. Um, I hate running, and, and we're doing a series here on running uh, where we're talking about this idea of why do we run from God? Like, we all have this tendency to run from where God has called us and invited us and where he wants us to be. And the question for us is why? Why do we run? Why, why don't we walk in step with him? Why don't we follow wherever he leads? Why are there moments when God says go and we're like, mm -mm, I'm not going? Why are there moments when God invites us into something that could be beautiful for us and we fight against it that rather than walk with him and trust him? And, and there's no scripture, passages of scripture or story in scripture or narrative in scripture that talks about this more than Jonah. And so we want to look at the, the life of Jonah and we want each week as we look at each chapter, we want to look at the why. And when we talk about the why, sometimes all we do is focus on the behavior. It's what's happening above the surface. It's what's out there for everybody to see. I want to dig down a little deeper and get beneath the surface and say, what are the motives and motivation that cause us to run? What else is happening? And so before I start, I want to give you guys just three really important things that we believe around here. These are part of our core values, and they're, they, they guide everything that we do in Grace Marietta. And these are not all of our core values, but I want to give you three of them because these three matter. The first is that we believe our job is to hear the whisper of God. We love the written word of God. That's the logos. We love that. And we will be in it week after week, and we will preach expository, and we will walk verse by verse through the Bible, and we will teach it, and we will love it. But we also believe that the Holy Spirit is whispering. It's called the Rima, the whisper of God. And we want to learn to hear the whisper. We want to learn that when God speaks, we obey. And so part of our training is we believe that every disciple of Jesus needs to know and understand how to hear from God, and then when God speaks, how to obey him. That's really important to who we are. The second of our core values is that we soak the altar, which means that we radically obey when Jesus says go. 
And so we are not afraid if it seems weird, if it doesn't make sense, if it's counterintuitive, if it's counterculture, if it's not what everybody else is doing. If Jesus says do it, we go. We will soak the altar with water and trust that fire is going to come and believe that when God says to do something, we do it, even when it's counterintuitive and even when we don't know the results that are going to happen on the end. Oftentimes, God speaks to me and I'm like, oh, that's great, God. Now tell me how that's going to end in six months. And I want the whole story, and what God is doing is what what the theologians would call progressive revelation. It means every step that we take with him, he's going to reveal a little more of himself and a little more of his plans. Rarely does God just reveal, here's what I want you to do, and here's what's going to happen three years later. It's oftentimes a, I want you to take this first step, and then you're going to take the next step, and then you're going to take the next step, and as you go, I am going to reveal more of my goodness, more of my plan, more of my generosity, more of my kindness, more of my grace, more of my mercy, more of who I am. Our intimacy grows as we take those steps. So our intimacy grows, and our authority grows. Our power grows as we walk in obedience with him. And the third thing is that we do it together. We actually believe in our church in this principle called co-discernment. It's this idea that there is not just one person that hears from God here. Douglas and I are not the only two people in this room that are hearing from the Lord. All of us are hearing from the Lord. And so we want to co-discern together what God is doing. This is what healthy faith communities do, is they don't have somebody that comes down from the mountaintop like Moses and says, this is what everybody's got to do because I heard from the Lord. They co-discern together. So they humbly submit what they believe God is doing for the body and for their own lives to other people people who they trust and believe in. And so every single time I make an important decision in my life, there are people in this room that I sit with and say, I've got to make a tough decision. I need your help. This is where I sense the Lord is leading. Will you help me walk through that? Will you help me interpret that? And so what happens in that is we avoid power structures that are dangerous. We avoid structures of hierarchy that are dangerous. And we become closer as a family because we're discerning together what God is up to and what's next. Does that make sense? It's really pivotal to who we are. Psalms 25, 4 through 5 says, make me, make, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation and for you I will wait all the day long. So make your ways known to me. I want to know where you're leading. Uh, like this is the greatest prayer that we could pray. And this is the prayer I want to invite everybody in our community to start praying over the next six weeks as we study Jonah. Would you make your ways known to me, Lord? So I want to hear from you what those are. Teach me your paths. Why? Lead me in your truth and teach me so that I can follow because you are the God of my salvation. So I want to walk in your ways. I want to hear from you and I want to obey. And so would you speak loudly and clearly? Uh, Jonah is a prophet. Uh, The prophets in the Old Testament were the ones who communicated what God is saying. So a prophet is always the one who is interpreting what is God saying to us? What's the word of God for us today? And sometimes a prophet has a word for an individual. Sometimes the prophet has a word for the body. Sometimes the prophet has a word for a country. Sometimes the prophet has a word just for themselves. But the prophet's number one goal is to hear from God and interpret what God is saying. Jonah is in the northern kingdom of Israel. This is happening in around the 8th century. And he's a good prophet. Right? Sometimes when we hear stories like Jonah, our temptation is to say like, oh, Jonah was one of the minor league prophets. Right? Like if they would have sent Jeremiah or Elijah, this all would have got sorted out right away. Right? 
No, Jonah is a good prophet, and God is inviting Jonah into a serious task. And here's where it starts, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for its evil has come up before me. So, very clearly, Jonah's praying. I don't know what he's doing. He's in his quiet time. He's, he's taking some time alone with the Lord. As he's praying, the word of the Lord came, came to him. I don't know whether that came to him through a word. I don't know whether it came to him through a picture. I don't know whether it came to him through a verse. I don't know whether it came to him through a direct kind of word of the Lord that was spoken. He heard the Lord clearly say to him, I want you to go to Nineveh. And then here's what it says, verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Uh, there's a huge contrast between Nineveh and Tarshish. It's vast. I think we got a map here that we can show you. Nineveh is located east of the Tigris River. It's in modern-day Iraq, near Kabul is where it's at. It was more than 550 miles east of Jonah's hometown. Um, Tarshish, in contrast, is 2,500 miles the opposite direction of Joppa. Tarshish at that time was about as far as the known world was known. So Jonah gets the word of the Lord, go this way. And Jonah says, I'm going as far as I can that way. You hear what I'm saying? He just decides completely, I'm heading the complete opposite direction. Now, Nineveh was the largest city in the world that time. You can kind of see why. Uh, it, it's located centrally into where almost everything is happening in culture at that time. It was a huge city. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It was a very liberal city at that time, right? So in that city, it's a, it would be kind of the equivalent of, I am sending you from small town Georgia where everything is good and holy and wonderful and great and everyone loves each other based on our political ads these days, right? And I'm sending you to Vegas or I'm sending you to LA. I'm sending you to a place that is known as a place of sin and of struggle and all of those kinds of things. And so there's this political disconnection between Nineveh and, and, and uh, where Jonah is now in Joppa. Uh, there, there's also uh, like, like this opposition as far as an us versus them. So in the same way in our culture, there are political parties where it is this party versus this party, and they're kind of named by cities, right? So there are cities that you would say, okay, uh, Midwest cities are cities where the Republicans are, right? It's where the Republicans vote. It's kind of where that happens. There are liberal cities where the Democrats are and the Democrats vote. And, and, and so this is kind of known as a different kind of party. So when God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, I want you to imagine that political leader that you dislike the most, Think about him in your head right now. Who is that person? I got a few rolling in my head right away. Right? I got some names that come out quick on that. Right? Who is that person? And imagine God says to you, I want you to go now. Go to Trump. Go to Biden. Go to Warnock. Go to Walker. I don't know who it is. I don't care who the person it is in your mind. It's the opposite of who you think it is. And God says, I want you to go to them. And Jonah says, uh-uh, I'm going the other way. I'm going completely in the opposite direction. And here's what's interesting about it. Can we get that verse back up there? 
Look at what it says at the end of this verse. It says, but Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish. And look what it says he's running from. It doesn't say that Jonah ran from God's instructions. It says Jonah ran from God's presence. Like Jonah is not just, I'm going to disobey here. Jonah is like, I'm going to try and go somewhere where God can't find me. Right? I'm getting out of the presence of God. And in Scripture, as we read Scripture, the presence of God is typically this powerful thing. It's this important thing. Psalms 27 says, the one thing I ask and all that I seek is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like it's this, I want to be in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. We, we just understand that there are these passages that talk about the beauty of the presence of the Lord. I want to be where the presence of the Lord is. But in this moment, Jonah is running, not just from the instructions of God, he's running from the presence of God. He's withdrawing himself completely from being with God. So because, here, and this is what happens in our sin and in our disobedience, sometimes God asks us to do hard things. Real, right? We've all experienced it. If being a Christian for you has always been easy, you're not doing it right. Because there are times when God asks us to do challenging things, difficult things, hard things, things that not everybody else is doing. We've got to say things that we don't want to say. We've got to love people we don't want to love. We've got to serve people that are unservable and, and unlovable. We've got to do things that people are, 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 are not seeing or understanding completely. God invites us sometimes into foolishness, and that's actually his wisdom. But here's the thing that we can recognize here is as we continue to run from God's presence, God continues to pursue us. There is no distance that we can run. There is no Tarshish that we can run to escape from his presence. That no matter where we've gone, no matter what we've done, no matter what we did on Friday night, no matter what happened to us as a child, no matter what happened to us last month, no matter what is going on in our life, God will pursue us. And he doesn't pursue us because he wants blind obedience. He pursues us because he loves us. And the greatest gift that God can give us is himself. Can I get an amen for that, guys? The greatest thing that he can give us is his actual presence. That I have the ruler of the world. I have the, the God who spoke the world into existence, who breathed life, who has power and authority and wisdom, who sees and knows everything. That that God is my father and that he wants to walk with me and guide me and direct me and lead me in my normal, ordinary, boring, not significant daily life is the greatest gift that's ever been given to me. But the truth is we run. So Jonah is running but we need, I need everybody to know this. Every invitation by God to obey is also an invitation to intimacy. God, when he invites us to obey, when he invites us to do hard things, he is inviting us in that space into a place of deeper intimacy with him because it's, it's showing that I trust him. Right? When God invites us to do something that we're not sure about or we don't understand or we're not clear about the ending, what we know in that space is it's an invitation for me to trust him and not me. It's to trust his wisdom and not my wisdom. It's to trust his sight and not my sight. It's to trust his working and not my own working. And so every time there's this invitation and the more we move closer to obedience, the more intimacy that grows between us and Jesus. I, I, because I'm a pastor, I have a lot of people that meet with me throughout the week, and I, a, a common discussion is, 
I just don't feel God anymore. I'm not hearing from God. I, I don't know. I just feel dry. I just feel empty. And, and, and I'll just be honest. When somebody says that, the thing that I start to think about the most is, okay, so where has he asked you to go that you're not listening? And so I'll always ask people in that moment, what's the last thing you heard God say to you? What's the last clear directive that you heard from him? And maybe you were walking in disobedience to that. And God keeps telling you to do the same thing, but he's not going to tell you to do something else because he keeps telling you to do the same thing. It's like my kids. I need you to clean your room. I need you to clean your room. I need you to clean your room. Well, I brush my teeth. I don't care that you brush your teeth. I need you to clean your room. Right? It's that kind of thing that we do with God over and over and over again rather than kind of walking in obedience. And so the key question and the one that we're going to be tracking down the next few weeks is why does Jonah run? And why do we run? Why does this happen? Uh, and oftentimes what we do when we sin or when we fall short or when we disobey is we look only at our behavior. We look only at what's happening above the surface and not what's happening beneath the surface. And oftentimes, what we need to do is not just evaluate our actions, like this is what happened, right? I got angry at this person. Uh, I said something I shouldn't have said in this meeting. I, you know, whatever that thing is, and all we do is we look at the behavior above the surface, but we don't look at our motives or motivations. Can we put that grid up there? This is what I want us to see and kind of understand. There are behaviors that are happening above the surface. It's what we see, right? So what we see is I acted out. Uh, I spoke when I shouldn't have spoken. I spoke out of anger. I, you know, I, I was yelling. I had a meltdown. I was avoiding. I was crying. I was aggressive. Like whatever that thing that's happening above the surface, there's a million other things that are happening beneath the surface that are causing that. And so oftentimes what we do when we're trying to win over our sin is we look at the behavior and not the motives and motivation. And so we never actually get to the deep spot like, fellas in the room, what we do is we're like, I'm going to put the computer in another room so that I stop looking at porn. But the question we should be asking is, like, what's happening beneath the surface that's causing us to run to that for love and affection and intimacy over and over and over again? We look in the wrong places rather than getting beneath the surface and understanding what's the root of this, what's actually going on. And so what we want to do in this series is kind of pay attention to, to not just see what we do, which is our behaviors, but to see why we do it, which is our motivations. So why does Jonah attempt to run from his obligation? Well, some people say this, the people of Nineveh were separate from Jonah and their destiny had nothing to do with his own. And for Jonah, the world was black and white. The world was us versus them. And the people of Nineveh were enemies and Jonah didn't want to love his enemies. Very simple. You'll see that later as we study the book of Jonah. Uh, some say this. Abraham Maslow says this. He, he coined this phrase. The phrase is called the Jonah complex. And the thing that Maslow said was Jonah's struggle was that Jonah was actually afraid of succeeding. Jonah was not afraid of going to Nineveh and failing. Jonah was afraid of going to Nineveh and succeeding. He was afraid of winning. He was afraid that things were going to go right, and so he runs. But as he runs, it doesn't go as planned. Verse 4, so the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, 
And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to their God. And as they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and fallen asleep. I love this. Just taking a nap. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought to us that we may not perish. So can we, let's leave that up there for just a second. One of the interpretive tools that I teach, and I've always taught my kids this, and I teach my kids to study the Bible, is every time you read a passage, there are two important questions to ask. The first is, what does this passage teach us about God? And the second is, what does this passage teach us about us humans? And so what we begin to learn as we read Scripture through that interpretive lens is we begin to learn who is God and what is he doing, and we begin to learn our own patterns and our own tendencies. So as we look at this, as we look at these passages in 4 through 6, what do we see God doing? What do we learn about God in these passages? Somebody just shout some things out, maybe one at a time. Somebody brave. He controls the weather. He's, pretty, he's a pretty big deal, right? He's pretty powerful. We learn that he's got power. What else do we learn? He speaks through others, even when they don't worship him. Good. What else do we see? You what? You can't run from him. He's going to pursue you. He's going to chase you down. What do we learn about humanity in this passage? We go to sleep. That's good. We need naps, yeah? I needed one yesterday. We need naps. What else? We're fragile and doubtful. Yeah, we have these moments where we don't believe that God has our best interest in mind, and even when he's invited us and told us, we run. There's all of these things all mixed up in this, and, and, and what we see here is, is as the story goes on, the sailors find out the problem is Jonah, uh, and, and what we find out in this is Jonah's a good guy. Jonah will not lie and deceive the other guys. He doesn't want the other sailors to perish because of his mistake. And so this big storm is happening. Jonah is running from God, but he's not a bad guy. He's not pretending or deceiving. When they say what's going on, he doesn't go, I don't know. Probably this guy over here. Have you seen what Charlie's been looking at on his phone? Right? It's not that thing. He, he doesn't throw anybody under the bus. He says, it's me. I'm, I'm the problem. I've been running from God. And Jonah recognizes that he can't run he names the fact that he has been running. It's really significant. He realizes his sin. He realizes he's walking in direct disobedience to God's plans. And, and here's what I want you guys to understand about our sins. There are sins of omission and there are sins of commission. Right? This is important for us to understand. Commission means I'm taking an action I should not take. Right? I know that I should not do this. I know that it is wrong but I'm doing it anyway, right? You are very aware that you are sinning in the moment that you're sinning, right? You guys all with me? Can you think of something in your own life where you're like, oh yeah, oops. Yeah, that's, that's kind of easy. Then there are also sins of omission. It's when we don't take the action that we're supposed to take. So there is something that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to stand in the gap. We're supposed to love. We're supposed to serve. We're supposed to be kind. We're supposed to forgive. We're supposed to move. We're supposed to act. We're supposed to move on behalf of justice and righteousness and holiness. We're supposed to do something, and we know that God wants us to act, but we choose to omit it. It's a sin of omission. 
It's, it's, it's knowing what to do and still choosing not to do it. So Jonah, right, sin of omission here. Right? He knows what he's supposed to do. He knows where he's supposed to go. He knows what he's supposed to walk into, and he's choosing not to do it. Both of these exist in our lives. There are moments when we know what is right, and we simply don't want to do it. We just choose the opposite. And there are moments when we know we should act, and we choose not to act. And here's what I want you to understand. Both of these are disobedience to God. It's easy for us to label our behavior, right, up top, our behavior. I did something I shouldn't have done. I said an unkind word to my wife. I should not have done that. That's not something I should have done. I yelled at my children. That's not something that should happen. I cursed, you know, and I shouldn't have done that, right? There's all kinds of things that you can lay out there and say, this is something I did, and I shouldn't have done that. But there's also times when I'm at a restaurant, and I get a sense from the presence of the Lord, be kind to this person. Be generous right now. Go talk to them. I, I get, the Lord is like, pray with that person. I'm like, Lord, I don't even know that person. Pray with that person. But I don't know him. Pray with that person. <laughs> but I'm really tired. Pray with that person. Right? That is also walking in disobedience. Around here, we talk a lot about awakening kingdom dreams. And when we say that, for those of you who are new, for those of you who are old, you're, you're as tired of hearing this as you are as the app. But the kingdom dream is the good work that God's prepared for us in advance. And that good work means kingdom occupation. It's not just a nice deed. It's a kingdom occupation. We believe that every single one of you, within the sound of my voice, has a kingdom calling from God. There is a kingdom occupation. There is a good work that has been prepared for you in advance that God has placed in you and equipped you to do good in the world and to bring wholeness and flourishing and grace and mercy and kindness and justice into every area that you walk. We are representatives of the king. We are his ambassadors, and wherever we go, we bring this good work that he's prepared for us in advance. Some of us actually know exactly what that thing is, and we're fighting it. We know exactly what we're supposed to do. We know exactly what we were made to do. We know exactly what we were created to do, and we still choose not to do it. It's a sin of omission. We aren't actually hurting anybody but ourselves because we aren't obeying where God wants us to go. Uh, around three years ago, I was working here, but I was also working as a church consultant. I had started a consulting firm where we helped people kind of build their discipleship process from the ground up. We did coaching for pastors who were hurting. Um, there's a lot of them right now, and so we spent a lot of time doing this work. I had done it for about six or seven years. Uh, I enjoyed the work, and I started praying, and in my prayers, I just started sensing the Lord saying, no more. And, and I was like, no, Lord, like, this, is, this is finally making money. <laughs> that was the first thing I said to him. Like, this is finally, like, I've worked on this for six or seven years to build it to a place where there's actually some income here. I've done all the hard work. Like, you want me to abandon this now where there's actually your reward? And he's like, I'm the reward. And I was like, yeah, but money's a good reward too. Like, could I have some of that? Like, I'm arguing back and forth with him. And he was like, no, I want you to leave. It was, it was like you built something and imagine it had finally, you pushed the ball all the way up the hill and it was starting to roll downhill and God was like, now you're done. And I argued with him and I fought with him for two years. 
I don't want you to think that I'm holy. For two years, I lived in a sin of omission. I kept doing it. Day after day, I kept walking in it. I kept living in it. I knew it wasn't for me. I knew it wasn't the thing I was supposed to do. I also knew that I didn't have any, anything else figured out. And I was like, Lord, tell me what you want me to do. Like, give, if you give me the plan, I will go. Just could you give me the five-year plan or maybe like the six-month plan? Could you give me a little bit of income to supplement this so that I can figure this out? Could you? Like there were all of these discussions. Uh, I was, and I tried to make it holy. Like give me a fleece, Lord, right? Give me a fleece. Like give me something. I tried to like cover it in some kind of holy language. And the Lord just kept saying, I need you to leave. I need you to go. I need you to go. And finally, after two years of doing nothing, where I didn't run, I just didn't do what he asked me to do. I quit. And I started my own thing and started doing my own thing. I went out and I started something new. And I can tell you that in, that, in the last year and a half, two years as I've been doing that, the work that I'm doing now is 100% more satisfying to me than the previous work. It's 100% more enjoyable. It's 100% more life-giving. And the person I was hurting the most by not obeying Jesus was me. Do we believe that? That when we walk in his presence, we experience his goodness. That when we obey, we experience more intimacy. Do we trust that God isn't holding out on us, but God wants the best for us? And so when he invites us, he, he equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. And he sends us into the places that he's called us to. And I wonder how many of us find ourselves in that place today where we know exactly where God has called us to go. We know exactly where God is leading, but the fear is getting us. And we're staying in the same spot because we're afraid. We're afraid of the money. We're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid that maybe we'll succeed. We're afraid of what might happen next. We're afraid of how this will affect our family. We're afraid of relationships that we have. We can pile on fear beneath the surface of what we're doing and we cover it up and there's some kind of behavior, but the motive and motivation is fear. I don't trust that God is going to take care of me. That was the reality of me in those two years. I did not trust that Jesus would do something that's good for me. Verse 14, it says, therefore they called out on the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, and the sea stopped immediately its raging. And then the, mirrored, the, Lord, the, the men feared the Lord. I like this word, exceedingly. <laughs> they didn't just fear the Lord. They, their fear shifted from like storms to like, oh boy, this God's legit here. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. All of them came to know Jesus. But Jesus went around. All of them came to follow God. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. I know, I know what you are thinking. Like, Ben, you really want me to believe there was a giant fish that ate somebody, and he stayed in his tummy for three days. Here's, here's the reality. I don't care whether it's figurative or whether it's real. I want to know what the point is. So it doesn't matter to me if it's figurative, doesn't matter if it's a real fish, doesn't matter if it's a story, doesn't matter if it's a narrative, it doesn't matter what that is. I just want to understand what does God want to teach me through this and through the story of Jonah. And so we'll talk more on this next week. But here for today, uh, we're going to open up some space and we're going to 
take communion. And, and here's some things that I want to happen as we kind of move into a time of worship and as the band comes back up to lead us. Uh, I, I want us just to start thinking about are there areas of our life where we are walking in the opposite direction where God's invited us to? Are there places in our life where we're just not trusting? Where have you been invited into obedience and you're running? How is God chasing you down right now? Where have you paid more attention to your behaviors than your actual motives? And what does it look like for you to say, okay, Jesus, okay, Holy Spirit, today I trust you. Today, I'm walking in your way. And here's what I want to encourage you in. Our journey of faith is always built on one step at a time. One of my greatest mentors is a guy named Dallas Willard. He's a writer and a theologian, brilliant guy, passed away a few years ago. He's my favorite writer. Um, But but the thing that he says that I just remember over and over and over again, because it's really easy to get discouraging in your day-to-day life, right? It's really easy to feel like, my goodness, there's so much bad in the world and there's so much brokenness and right now there's so much enemy hatred and there's so much nonsense going on and everybody's at each other's throats and I don't know what to do and it feels like I'm not doing anything good. Willard says this, he says, every single day, take one step closer to the kingdom. I don't have to run all the way there. I don't have to get to the very end. I don't have to do everything today. But what does it look like for you to take one step towards Nineveh? What's that step of faith for you that is saying, I don't know what it's going to look like in seven steps. I don't know what it's going to look like in six months. I don't know what it's going to look like in three months. But for today, I'm taking one step towards your kingdom. I'm taking one step towards the Nineveh that you've called me to. I'm taking one step towards the calling that you have on my life because I believe that I can trust you because I believe that you're good. And I believe that in your presence is where everything gets worked out. Bible calls that repentance. It's not a word that we love anymore. It's kind of like a bad term for us. But it's actually the most beautiful thing that can possibly happen. It's when we say to Jesus, when we say to God, I agree with you. I I agree that your way is better than my way. I agree that your path is better than my path. I agree that the way that I've been going is not working for me. And I want to turn and I want to follow you. And so our prayer team is, is up front. Can we get some more prayer people over here, guys? And, and during, the, during prayer, I, I, I want to make an invitation to salvation today, guys. If you know right now I am walking in direct disobedience to God and I don't know him as my Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to come today and pray with one of these leaders. I want you just to say to them today, I want to give my life to Jesus or I want to give my life back to Jesus. Scripture says that we lay down our lives as a living sacrifice, which means I simply say to Jesus, all I have is yours. My future, my hopes, my dreams, all the things that I want right now, I trust your way better. I trust what you're doing more. I was reading this morning, and I don't know, maybe this is just for me, but maybe it's for everybody. Psalms chapter 37 Verse 3, it says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. I love that phrase. 
Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way or over the man who carries out his evil desires. It's just saying, just walk. Just take one step. Just trust that I can surrender my ways to his ways and I can trust that his way is better. And so today, I've, I've been praying all morning for one for one person in this room who's brave enough to say, I've been living a life apart from Jesus and today's the day I come home. And so Heavenly Father, I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would do the work that I cannot do. I pray that you would speak your kindness, your grace, your mercy, your generosity. I pray, Holy Spirit, that the kindness of the Lord would flow over this place and would rest on us in such a way that we know that you are generous and that you are good and that you are with us and that you are for us and that we can trust you. And I pray that you would convict us. I pray that you would search our hearts and that you would know everything about us and yet you would still continue to pursue us. We thank you, Jesus, that you invite us. We thank you, Jesus, that you speak through your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Jesus, for moments like this where we have an opportunity to choose to walk in obedience or to walk away. I pray for obedience in this place today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said.